Prado looking, throws it, alley, oh, he puts it down, he puts it down, it's over. Welcome in to the Just Basketball Show for Wednesday, October 18th, 2023. I am Chris Manning, that is Brendan Clean. If you haven't already, follow us on your podcast app platform of choice and give us five-star reviews only. Hit subscribe on our YouTube channel, the Just Basketball Fans YouTube channel as well. And want to tell you about our friends at Homage. Homage is the ultra-comfortable specialty apparel company with the with NBA and WNBA licenses. It uses vintage-inspired designs to pay homage to the greatest stories, traditions, and figures across sports, music, and pop culture. Use the link below to make your purchase and support the Just Basketball Show. Big show today. Later in the show, to wrap it up, we have Sean Woodley from Locked on Raptors coming through to preview all things Toronto. A very weird team is a good way, I think, to sum up what's going on in Toronto. And we ca- we have, I think, Brendan, a theme today of teams in well, weird teams. the Sixers and the Grizzlies. Teams that are weird. Teams going through some stuff, I think, is a good way to frame... <laughs> What is going on here? We're going to start, though, with what matters more, a recurring segment where we present three topics and we discuss which one of these matters more. So, Brendan, you came up with these this time. Yep. Tell me. We got three preseason topics from the NBA. So it is storylines. It is trends. It is stats. And in this case, it is about three teams that are pretty important in the league. So first up, Torian Prince solidifying a likely starting role for the Los Angeles Lakers. Somebody that I don't think got a lot of attention for even signing in LA is now likely to start over Rui Hachimura. We have Ben Simmons playing like Ben Simmons, which I think explains itself. This guy just is aggressive and, and taking non layups and actually shooting and playing good defense in a way we didn't expect. And then last but not least, Clay Thompson and the Golden State Warriors at an impasse on a contract extension, which was reported on by Adrian Wojnarowski and none other than the former president of basketball operations of the Golden State Warriors, Bob Myers, who is part of ESPN's pregame coverage now. That was a little weird. He literally said, that's why I left uh, when, when Woj explained it and he was asked to give his take. Which of these three things matters more, Chris? Well, I think all of them actually matter this time. Like sometimes I'm like, there's one of these where I'm like, I don't feel like I have a strong opinion that I'm going to be remember that this was a thing in six months. I'm really tempted to go Ben Simmons. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know if Break that's right. I, here's, so process of elimination. I'm thinking about this. Clay and the Warriors are probably just going to figure it out at some point. I just assume that's going to happen until it doesn't. Fair. I actually, when I heard that, I was like, damn, we're about to get contract your clay. Like, I actually think it might matter more in the other direction where it's like, oh shit, he's going to really like play very uh, intense, possessed basketball, like a, a man digging deep for some money. But even then, That's what's possible. the upside? But I'm just like, now I'm just wondering, like, where, where, where imagine clay in like an Orlando Magic jersey and it just doesn't feel right. I don't mean contract you're like he's going to leave. I just mean demanding yeah, I that know, the Warriors I know, I pay what him what he's mean. worth. Yeah. I know what you mean. I just assume. Because like, I agree. Man. I think they'll figure it out. I think he's going to be a Warrior next season. It's just how much. But yeah. him trying to make that go from $30 million annually to 35 kind of does have my attention. 
The Lakers sure. one I think I agree with is not super huge because it's more really about who closes than who starts. I don't know if D'Angelo Russell, for instance, will be closing games for them. I don't know if Torian Prince will be closing games for them. So the fact that those two guys are both starting and that Prince has sort of earned this, I didn't really turn my head too much other than really just the comfort level that they, I guess, think Hachimura has off the bench. But... Make the case for Simmons instead of the process for elimination. Why are you hyped about Ben or what do you what what has your attention here with Ben Simmons? He just looks like Ben Simmons. And it's the first time I've seen a clip of Ben Simmons, multiple clips, in fact, of Ben Simmons and watched some of the Nets preseason stuff. And it's it's been years since I looked at Ben Simmons playing basketball and been like, that guy's doing awesome shit. It's been a long time since you could watch Ben Simmons play basketball and think that guy looks like himself. He looks comfortable. He looks healthy. He looks whatever the issue, the root issue was in all of this. He has looked like someone who is ready to go and is ready to rock and is in a good space for a Sixers team that, or Nets team, excuse me, real Freudian slip there. Real or Freudian slip there. He just looks like someone that actually is like going to contribute to them like winning basketball games this year. And I'm still skeptical. I think we should be until we see it in the regular season and for a long stretch of time. But if he's back, that's just like a really good player that helps Brooklyn be better right now. And it's that's a big deal. That's a really, really big deal. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it with Lucas Kaplan in our Nets preview that they really have a Ben Simmons-sized hole in their roster. And so if he's able to be a playmaker, to be a wing defender who can set players up they have a lot of finishers they have a lot of guys who play off of each other offensively guys who play off of creators even Mikael Bridges I think is still a a, a dependent offensive player and so even if Ben Simmons still has his limitations he's not going to plow into guys and get to the line he's not going to take jumpers all that often Uh, he can still be somebody who does all those things and make this team better I think Um, It was hilarious. Uh, Honestly, I saw a tweet going around yesterday with one of the highlights that I think you're referencing of a fall away jumper from him. And it said, like, I've never seen Ben do this. He's really at another level or something. And it's like, how quickly we forget. Ben did that all the time early on in his career. That is his Mm -hmm. shot. That is exactly his shot is to get a mismatch or kind of take advantage of the, the 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 playing off of him that the defender is giving him, slink into the paint, see if a pass arises, see if a lane to the basket arises. If not, pedal backward into a kind of silky fall away, like floater distance, but he does it as a jumper and it's unblockable because the dude is 6'10". So yeah, he hasn't taken that shot in a really long time. Maybe that person was like 18 and didn't watch basketball when Ben Simmons was doing that stuff in the first place, but he can. He's always done that. Um, And so it is an indication that he's back, but it's also not some sort of like complete surprise that he has some of those things in his bag. And if this team plays fast, plays versatile, and that he can really just be a playmaker... There's a ceiling on what that type of team is, but it's still much, much better than we ever thought this team would be heading into the preseason for sure. And it is just a good thing for the universe that like someone can actually come back and like figure it out. I don't know if he's ever going to hit the same consistent high as he did or what this holds for him. His future is still very much unwritten, worth a Natasha Bedingfield. But like we're in a position here where 
it it has felt like do or die for him a little bit. Obviously, just with what the last couple years have been, and it you're, to your point, we kind of have just kind of forgotten what good Ben Simmons is. Now, I will say, the guy who got Ben Simmons tattooed, face tattooed on his chest, certainly maybe didn't forget what Ben Simmons is. Did you see this? Have you seen this? No. Is he okay? okay. Has he been checked on? This man? I I don't. I'm assuming it's a man because let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. It's we're all we're idiots over here. Um. Yeah, this guy like at a Nets game like went up to showed Simmons like a tattoo of his, of Ben Simmons Ben Simmons's head on his chest and Ben Simmons looked like he couldn't okay. believe that someone had a tattoo of him on his chest. And I was like, same brother. Chest is a is a real big leap. Like a tattoo of an athlete's face, even one as relatively insignificant as Ben Simmons, is weird. Like I, if I met that person and it was on a shoulder or a or a calf or an ankle or a forearm, I would be a little concerned. Chest is just another like chest tattoo. Period is is a statement. Chest tattoo of second best player on a second round team from two years ago is that's just ballsy. Yeah. I think I think if you get a tattoo of a professional athlete on your body, you're just kind of a sort of you're just a certified weirdo. There's no way around it. You're just you just are a weirdo. It's fair. I I think sports tattoos are like great. If you wanted to get if you're like a Nets diehard and got some kind of Nets tattoo, or like you know I, I there's a there's a thing in they don't really have a logo. So what do you get? I mean the Nets just you get a you get a, like, get a you get a you get a basket you get you get you get uh if you're really defending Barclays you just get any like of the thing of uh, some kind of quip from like this Joe Sy Stephen A Smith like war or Michael Wilbon war of words that's going on over attendance in the environment at Barclays which I'm like why did we need this what is going on here yeah big uh, shout out to the guys at ESPN who think they're talking WNBA by making it about themselves and their stupid feuds that they try to start to get ratings that's that's real big ups to you guys for finally talking women's sports and then you just can't help but be children about it congrats allies. guys that's what we call you allies brendan you know that's allyship mm-hmm. uh, like i don't know if this is like you see people they get like team logos tattooed on their bodies i just think sure. like you get anyone's face other i just think in general face tattoos like don't usually work mm-hmm. you have to, I think it particularly- has to be very high quality and you have to be yeah. very committed to whatever that person is like yeah, even even people when they get their own children, it's like, well, the child is not going to be that age forever. Firstly, you know, there's all sorts yeah. of problems with it. Um, children might just yeah, I was going to say something about that. I'll just make the case for Clay and the Warriors there. Uh, I know I mentioned it a yeah. minute ago. I think that it it's easy to re- forget how uh, big of a regular season he had last year, and the Woj clip that went viral. Uh, about this whole thing mentioned that I think he shot 40 plus percent from three led the league and made threes had one of the best shooting seasons of his entire career I think we can all tell that come playoff time he one didn't make his threes either but also just wasn't as sort of athletically spry as the peak version of even post-injury clay has been like we saw in 2022 postseason for instance if he can get back to that and if this sort of is a motivating factor for him it does up their ceiling as a team we talked about him defending fours more when we did our Warriors preview, and that's something Kerr has talked about, especially while Draymond is out and they have to play small. But that's all going to contribute to them getting closer to their kind of title ceiling, which I think you and I agree is a little of a step below the, the Suns and Nuggets. If they get a great clay season and a great Wiggins season and Chris fits and, and hits there too, then you're starting to add up the pieces. Kaminga's had a great preseason. Like, 
Clay being even better than last year, even maybe better than 2022, would be important, but it's just too early to know if that will motivate him or matter or contribute in any way. It is just noteworthy because, again, I agree with you. You would think these two sides just have enough of a history that it gets sorted out. Like Draymond Green's thing was done the minute free agency opened. I kind of thought it would be that in this case, too. And, and I thought the Draymond thing might have been harder. I just kind of thought if anyone yeah, was going to like break away, it was going to be Draymond, not Clay, who like rides his bike to the arena and is happy-go-lucky Clay Thompson, not like guy with a podcast who's notoriously plays with an edge, Draymond Green. So that that all has kind of factored into that. Uh, but also good for Torian Prince. You've you're you found a he's in a really good spot for him. So good player, I think. Very good player. Uh, I'm not going to. I'm not co-signing. Very good. I said good. Don't don't hold me to very okay. good. Don't make our He's, stance as a podcast that Torian Prince is very good. Good player. We're we're going to lead into Lakers propaganda. Okay. Torian Prince Dylan, is going to make the All Star team. The, if that happens, uh, I would get Torian Prince's face tattooed on my bicep. Wonderful full circle tie up there, Chris. That's why. That's what I did. That's why I did that. I'm a pro, Brendan. All right, let's move on to some previews. First up, we have a team that, Brendan, I got to tell you, I did not exactly know how to preview fully and do these notes because their team is weird, and I it's kind of just a big shrug for me, dog, and that's the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, this James Harden thing is ongoing. We're not going to talk much about that because it's just just kind of lingering out there, and we're it seems like there's some negotiations going on, and leaks are happening, and... We'll see. But if you don't know, we do we do these team previews. We go most important player. Player we'll be talking about at the end of the season. Best lineup, best case scenario, worst case scenario, and the over under. Uh, most important player. I'm just going to get this out of the way, Brendan. I told you before we started recording that I had a James Harden in a category. And I just wanted to get it out of the way and then probably not try to talk about him again. It's James Harden, they have to get something out of this guy in one way or the other. They just kind of have to. They have to either make this work, which doesn't seem likely. I can't imagine that's going to happen at this point. You can't really like walk back, going to the club. To a, first telling a group of Chinese teenagers that you're that Daryl Moore is a liar, and then B, putting it on science twice. The club. You can't twice. You can't like roll that back. You know, it's it's and I don't well, think today Harden, and. I know we don't want to get into the rumor mill of all of it, but there was pretty concrete reporting about from Sham Shania today about the extent to which Harden has actually participated in camp. We all kind of patted him on the back for showing up. And then it turns out he actually is like hardly participating. He hasn't even attended some of these preseason games. He is uh, apparently only scrimmaged with the team one time. So the, the truce that he seemed to suggest when he arrived I think was maybe not quite on the up and up. So I don't Shocker. know what that means is in terms of do we see him on the court next week, but it's not looking good. I have a question for you. You said that they need him in one way or the other. How different is their ceiling with or without him? I think it depends on what they get, but I, I think if they well, keep no, I'm any- just saying, let's say he holds out for now. And it's more of a February trade Uh, just to because, yes, agreed. That's the type of conversation that's obnoxious to have about Terrence Mann and what pick swaps and whatever. Not important. I'm just saying, let's say Harden with this roster or no Harden with this roster for the next few months. 
I think it pretty. I think it does lower their ceiling, even if he's not okay. the best player, the best version of himself anymore. Even if he's not at his peak anymore, struggles to get by guys in the same way. I mean, we saw the the, the miraculous game he had in the playoffs, and you just need someone to not make Joel Embiid do everything. You need someone to handle the ball and to bully other guards and. Be James Harden. Like, yes, is he a top five player anymore? Top seven player anymore? No, but he's still really good. And you're just going to be worse off without him. It's going to put a lot of pressure on other guys to step up and do stuff. And it's going to be a lot of projection to see if that can even happen. You didn't really answer the how much. I I would say, like, they're like 30% worse. I'm pretty optimistic that they can stay afloat. I I also just think the types of pieces that they seem to be likely to get back, even if they get their wishes, to me, don't actually really change the upside or sort of the, the even like the baseline level of performance that they're going to get this year because I don't think like Terrence Mann or some of these other pieces are really hardened replacements. Like sure. Terrence Mann is very similar to D'Anthony Melton, very similar to Tyrese Maxey even. Patrick Beverly, like they have three Terrence Mann types already. You know, Norm Powell, maybe he helps. Maybe Nicholas Batum helps just from a lineup flexibility standpoint and some other things like that. But I I tend to feel pretty good that this team can stay afloat. And I don't know if Harden actually makes that big of a difference. But my most important player is Joel Embiid. Not exactly a surprise. The reigning MVP I've mentioned this a few times as we've talked through uh, the Harden situation over the summer, but just to remind people how good Embiid was the year that Simmons was holding out, he had almost identical stats to his MVP season. Slightly less efficient, but an identical usage rate, uh, a slightly higher rebound and assist rate, and carried the team to a top four seed pace in the Eastern Conference without Ben Simmons. And of course, by that point, James Harden was not a sixer yet. There was also no Tyrese Maxey on this team, right? Like it was Seth Curry and it was, you know, some mm-hmm. some lesser role players. They didn't really have a backup center that season, whereas now they have like four um, <laughs> for whatever reason. So I just feel like we're underestimating how high the floor can be just by way of having Joel Embiid on your team. Now, his defense has taken a a little bit of a step back in recent seasons as he's had to do more offensively or maybe just chosen to, whatever way you want to think about his MVP campaigns the past few years. I don't know if you can expect the defense to return to his peak form maybe ever again, but especially not in a season where he's maybe having to do more than he even did last year with Harden. So that, I, I think, is one area you could see the team take a little bit of a hit. But all of that said, Embiid may not be perfect. He may not be the best player in the NBA like an MVP award should indicate that you are. But I think he is somebody to me that is pretty close to a like walking 45 wins with a competent roster as you can find in the league. Yeah, I think there's just the, always the question of health, which obviously isn't like fair and fun to talk about. And also just, 
I thought this might be the year, Brendan, where in some way he didn't have to just go full go to just maximize his team. And that just doesn't feel on the table. And that bums me out for him a little bit. Yeah. To be honest. No, that's fair. But I don't know if, you know, I, I think that's the thing about the situation with the trade is it, it's allowed us to kind of like make everything about the Sixers about this Harden trade. And that's part of why I wanted to make the case of Embiid being good enough to raise their floor separate from him. But I also think mm-hmm. that they're, the upside question isn't really dependent on Harden either. You know, they have this Tobias Harris contract. They don't necessarily have this great blue chip player. We can talk about Tyrese Maxey very shortly, I think. Um, but, but what was the what was the course of action that could have happened at any point from like last trade deadline until now that would have made Embiid's life easier this season? I don't know if there I, is I don't, one. I don't know if there is one, at least one that was available to them and was kind of fit. I mean, that fit the parameters of Daryl Moore. Like, I think there's like a different world where like a non-Daryl Moore led team would have done something different than what has happened here. But like, obviously, that's just not the reality. In right? what way? Moore, I just think there... Daryl Morey is such a careful, cautious GM in a way that I think is often very smart, right? He's got like a very... like I would say patient. Yeah, okay. Patient's a good word. I think other GMs might have really like forced the issue with some kind of trade before. like in a But it would way, probably be a say. worse value trade than what Morey's yeah, going to end up that's getting. What but that, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just saying I agree with that. Yeah. No, I, I think it's just... It's interesting to think about the paths because yeah, you could have taken a trade this summer probably would have been less. It sets you up to get the next superstar less easily, but everybody's probably a little happier. The team's a little deeper. It's the same thing we talked about with Ben and I guess that sort of worked out, but yeah, I don't know. Um, I want to talk about one more thing with Embiid because the turnovers mm-hmm. get a lot of attention with him. I just, I, I think that that is a little bit of, uh, I don't think he's a great passer. I don't think that he, is some sort of plus advantage creator by setting teammates up. But I also think we are in an era where somebody playing basketball the way he does gets misconstrued as like his own shortcomings. Posting up leads to turnovers. That's part of the reason other NBA players don't do that anymore. Other NBA teams don't do that anymore. Like you look at Shaquille O'Neal's best seasons, his turnover rate by the end of the Lakers run into the Miami time. And then obviously it got out of hand by the time he was close to retirement, but it was higher from 2003 on than what Embiid's was last year when that was supposedly one of the biggest problems in his game. So when you isolate and post up as much as he does, that just is going to happen. And so it just sort of is a fact of what he is. And I guess you can have an opinion about whether his style is going to be conducive to winning a championship but as we just got done talking about to me it's like he's never been put into a position to actually test that because he's never been optimized with the guys around him so not to be just a diehard and be truther here but i i do just think a lot of the way we talk about him is pretty screwed up and i think this will be an opportunity season for him to kind of reprove that he's great independent of a lot of other stuff and if they can make the other stuff even better over the course of the next few months like we're really in for uh, something cool 
I just want one year for Joel Embiid where I don't feel like he's having to just like other superstars. I think had to their team's credit have just had like easier times with some of this. Like I think Jokic is just like he's obviously had to carry a ton, but then their whole system is kind of built on making supporting him as best they can and year in and year out kind of keeping things replenished. Sometimes it just feels like Embiid has to just kind of do a ton to maximize like in perfect situations. And obviously like, look, that's what happens when you do things like sign Al Horford because he like beat you up in the playoffs or whatever, right? Like you did dumb things. You have to do drastic things to get out of it. I would just like some easiness for, for one Joel for a little bit of time. All right. Player. We're going to talk at the end of the season. Brendan, I went weird with this. Cause I, I think Tyrese Maxey is maybe the easy, like layup answer to hit here. And I kind of think you're going to pick him. Is that right? I did pick Tyrese Maxey. Okay, let's start there, and then we'll, we'll come back to me. Why did you pick Tyrese Maxey? In short, for the reasons you pointed out, I think he's already kind of surpassed the hype cycle. We know who Tyrese Maxey is. He is likely to get a max contract or very close to it next summer when he hits, unrestrict- or when he hits restricted free agency, but they don't have a lot of other young talent. But just to give the the Tyrese Maxey pitch. And I think he's a pretty interesting player in and of himself too, uh, separate from trades and all the other drama surrounding this organization. He's just a very interesting test case of how good he can be and how good a team built around him can be at 6'2". You know, I look at him and I feel like he's a player who I don't want to say is is maxing out what he is already because that would just be a little bit... Uh, short, uh, narrow-minded, I think, unimaginative. He's only 22, but he averaged 20 points per game last year on Mm -hmm. 48% shooting, upped his three-point volume by a lot, and made uh, 43% of those for the second straight season, just a a killer shooter, and uh, just plays a, a style of basketball, even with all that productivity that is very conducive to winning, very team-oriented, came off the bench last year and didn't miss a beat, has uh, a, an energy and tenacity to his game on both ends that I think allows him to make up for some of the the size deficiencies. I just do wonder what more the ceiling can be. I think there's passing upside, clearly, but he's at four assists a game. You know, Not every assist is created equally, but what what where is the next jump? really going to be there? Is he an eight-assist-a-game guy? Mm, don't necessarily think so. But where I look, Chris, is the free-throw shooting. I think with how forcefully he plays and how athletic he is, even at a, a smaller size, I think that there's a lot of meat on the bone for him to drive more and get to the free-throw line more, and that'll just make everything a little bit easier, allow him to be more of a focal point of an offense. And so I think that's kind of what I'm hoping for this year. And maybe the the leap that I'm projecting him to make, even though he's already a, a very positive NBA player, even at 22. Yeah, there's just, I think there is creation. I think the, the at the rooms, I think the free throw stuff is all there and it's meat on the bones and it's hard. I mean, he's, he's at a size where that is, that can be tricky and it's like cleaning the glass, for instance, like classifies him as a combo guard because he is, he's not like a traditional six, one point guard who can score. He is a combo guard. I think that's why, like even with some defensive concerns, that's where the Harden stuff made a lot of sense. Like that partnership made some sense because Harden can do the point guardy stuff. So a lot on the table for him, but he's at that it's year four. 
if there was a leap, wouldn't be shocking, right? Like he's young. It's there in to some degree. The 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 assist to, I'm curious to see how his passing looks this year, I think, particularly just the assist percentage as like a number I'm gonna be tracking with him. Was it sixteen point six percent last year? It was three percent lower than other years, but I can't imagine there's a world where the Sixers are good and it's low for him again this year. So that's where my brain went. All right, so for me I just I just said either Tobias Harris or D'Anthony Melton. Because I think if this roster particular whether they can't trade Harden at all whether it's just like a weird year and they need to maximize what they have in a way that's to kind of get to next summer and start chase I think one of these two guys are gonna have to have a big year or in Harris's case kind of like a you almost forgot I'm still pretty good kind of season I think that's kind of what you would need from Tobias Harris and maybe a new coach bring something out of one of these guys that Doc Rivers couldn't. I, so I just looked at those two guys, guys I like, guys that are competent role guys for them, but maybe one of them elevates in some way and we're like, dang, forgot, you know, D'Anthony Mellon had a great year or Tobias Harris had a great year just to avoid because Maxi one just felt like a layup. I wanted to to maybe take a little bit of an Aaron three-pointer here and get some gunner gunner shots off by just saying it's either going to be Tobias Harris or D'Anthony Mellon who we're going to be thinking about at the end of the year. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be Melton. I, I don't think that there's much better he can be personally. He shot 39% on five threes a game last year. Had, um, and this is a compliment to him. Mm-hmm. Had uh, the one of the better, you know, typically great defensive season. You know, maybe didn't have quite the offensive creation role, but I just don't think he's great enough at that that you really should ask him to do that. And so, you know, to me. That's what he is. You know, he is, uh, how old is he? 20. How is he only 24? That is wild. He's about to be 25. This is his age 25 season. That's his prime. I, I think obviously Harris is older even than that, but he's the guy to me with less ball handling on the team and the need to fill the offensive void that Harden is going to be leaving, even if they trade him. Me, it, it sort of has to be Harris. I think to go back again, though, to that season uh, when Ben was holding out, you saw a, a pretty strong Tobias here that year, too. So uh, by the end of the year, not so much, but I know that stretch early on, he, he did pick it up. And I think that there is more there, even if he's a somewhat limited player. I think he can take more, you know, pull up mid-range jumpers. I think that he can up his three-point volume off the ball. I think that he can anchor some second units as a scorer, even at, at age 30, 31. So I, I would pick Harris between those two. I would lean there as well, just because there's a proven track record, but I just wanted to throw out another option. And I didn't, I like the Anthony Melton as just a guy that I think can be on good teams as a defender, as a shooter. So I just wanted to slip his name in here because I, I kind of like it's like funny that I don't love everything on this team, but I like some of the role guys enough where I'm like, huh, but we'll see. All right. Best lineup. Just going to punt a certain bearded guy out of this. Have to. Mm-hmm. Maxi Melton, Harris, Tucker and Bede. I think that's it. I think it's your two guards. I think it's Harris as a, a hub in some ways. It's Tucker to rebound and defend in BPJ Tucker and take less corner threes than you would like. And Joel Embiid ever heard of him. I think that's it. The interesting thing, too, to bring up with the Harden uh, talks separate from Harden, though, is 
it sounds like PJ Tucker is one of the things being talked about. Yes. And so that that's curious to me. And that's part of why like the Batum inclusion could end up being big for the Sixers to, you, you can't leave that position un- unattended to, you can't play too, too small. I actually thought about Kelly Oubre as my guy we're going to be talking about by the end of the season. I think that he is a pretty solid pickup for this team. Good cutter can make spot up threes well enough, always has the shot selection issues and no team he's ever been on seems to want to keep him, but I think he could have a pretty good season um, kind of filling in in the forward spot if they need it. Yeah, last year, the best lineup was uh, one lineup had a massive volume, which was Harden, Melton, Harris, Tucker, and Bede. Surprising that Maxi's not in there a little bit. They had another high level, high volume lineup with Maxi over Melton. That also was a, a pretty big positive, an even bigger positive than the Melton lineup, almost twice as good. And then their best lineup overall was actually with no Harden, uh, Maxi, Melton, Harris, Tucker, and Bede. So, again, some track record of things we're going to see this year working. And I think I probably lean that that one, Maxie Melton, Harris, Tucker, Embiid. If, if Tucker's not in there, mm-hmm. then, you know, again, we're not going to get too deep down the rabbit hole, but maybe it's Batum, maybe it's Marcus Morris, Frown. I don't really love that, uh, you know, but, you know, <laughs> somebody like somebody like that. Brennan, There's also no, no George Yang on this team anymore. So that's, yeah, that's another miss, part of I think they'll miss sneeing shooting, even if the rebounding and what else you provided is like a real question, obviously. The other mm-hmm. thing I would say is it's going to be 2050 and Marcus Morris is still going to be out here just being Marcus Morris and playing basketball. Yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully not. Maybe, maybe they could go back to the Suns at some point, the two brothers, and like sign the split contract again. Sure. We uh, I just no roster spots in Phoenix. Sorry, I you know a couple years. You never okay. know. I think Marcus uh, Markeith is out of the league. In my no, he's on the Mavs. Got a late addition can't, there. Congrats to Markeith. Can't keep him down, baby. All right, uh, best case. <sighs> that was an intentional deep breath because I had a very hard time, Brendan, um, kind of projecting what the I, I this team is very fuzzy to me. So can you go best case first? Because I'm I'm a little I need to I need some clarity from you to kind of get me to where I'm thinking here. <laughs> uh, sure. Uh, so 15th in offense last year, and let's see, uh, probably not much higher than that in defense. They were 20. No, this is preseason. Give me one moment as the stats go. I think that the the best case for this team probably relies on unfortunately for our analysis a little bit of what they do get back for Harden because it's it's not insignificant but I think an ideal world is that they get some offensive pieces enough that Embiid can do a little bit less to your point to my point maybe impact the game more consistently on defense rather than really just trying to take it up a notch in the fourth quarter like we saw him do last year and they can be a little bit better than the sum of their parts. I think that's that's kind of what it is. Maybe Harris is a component of that. But, you know, last year they were third in offense, 10th in defense to get that out there. I would expect they're probably worse on both ends. So that means the best case is, is probably a significant step down from the 54 wins and 
second round appearance that they had last year. Yeah, I even think the best case, final, and that that's not yeah. the worst. You know, that's the best case is is worse than that. Yeah, I think best case is like they just get some, maybe get some luck and get to the conference finals, but it's probably more like second round and out kind of year. That's what it it feels like is the ceiling bar. That's familiar to them. <laughs> Tough. Um, barring Daryl Morey pulling something out of his hat that doesn't seem to be on the table. It seems like Maury is arranging for this Harden trade to be a stepping stone to another trade. So that's part of why yes. I'm not considering whatever they get back as like super consequential because it doesn't seem like he is. No, but you got to turn it around then. And then what's the timeline on that? I think it's it's yep. it's all very fair. All right, worst case. Uh, I just think that this Brendan could all of this could hang over them. This could kind of just feel like a lost wasted in beat season to some degree and they get out. They get taken out of round one as like the sixth seed in the East. Yeah, I, I I think that's all on the table. They probably, you know, if they fall out of the top ten on offense, if their defense is still kind of hovering around good but not great, that's you know a team just above five hundred at the end of the day, and with not a lot of the upside is what matters in the playoffs. Right. And if they don't have those 40 point games from Harden and and that type of thing, then it's just putting a real cap on how great they can be. So I agree. And, and kind of big picture worst case is that they are beleaguered and, and followed around by trade talk all season that every, every ESPN show just talks about how Embiid's going to leave. And that's just the chatter around the team. And that sucks. Gotta say, really, really love the word beleaguered. It's a good word. Pulled that one pulled that one out. I don't know if I necessarily used it a hundred percent right, but it it worked well enough, I think. I think I get like a like a four stars on that performance. I five stars for me, my guy. Okay. Thanks. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. All right. Uh over under forty nine and a half. I'm taking the under, Brendan. Yeah, same. I I don't know how I would maybe just not touch this one, but the over on this one feels very unlikely um, amid what is going on in the East, amid what is going on with other teams that I think just have a little more solid footing right now. And I think that leaves them in a, in a really, really tough spot. 51 teams statistically last year, so they overperformed that by two and a half wins. You're, you're asking them to get seven wins worse or six wins worse, basically, to hit the under. But I don't know if they'll be... It's closer than maybe I thought at first, at first glance. But I still am going to go the under because I just think the ground could kind of fall out in a way that not a lot of other teams could experience. And every team, every year there's teams like that. This just feels, again, this just feels like a very tricky place to be. And that would, if I'm them, that makes me just a little bit uncomfortable. All right, let's move on to our next team preview for this episode, which is going to be the Memphis Grizzlies, another team. Brendan, going through some stuff, (laughs) another team figuring some stuff out. 
And I want to start with the most important player because I think this is the easiest answer I've maybe had this whole entire exercise. Except maybe when I picked Max Struess for Cleveland. That was just a real... I'm tuning my head on that one. Most important player is Jaron Jackson Jr. Mm. Okay. There's a lot... There's There is going to be a lot for him to do in the first 25 games of the season. John Moran is out to perhaps fill in on offense there, grow on that end of the floor, and take another step up. Can he absorb more of a scoring role, a creator role, some kind of offensive role, and still maintain that high, high level of defense, and maybe even foul a little bit less? Can we ask just for a a few less fouls, Jaron? Can he be more of a two-way monster and grow and take some of the pressure off of everyone else on this team to be creative, to be scoring. Can he give them another layer on offense? Can he take a step forward as a player that gets him into more solid all-star status? And really, I think, fills in and kind of helps this team tread water, be above treading water, whatever, however you want to phrase it, while John Moran is suspended. I don't know. I, I picked Desmond Bain, and I think it's an interesting conversation as because it was a similar reasoning as far as who is going to be relied upon to take more of an offensive leap. I still don't necessarily see the full shape of how you give an offense more over to Jaron Jackson Jr. Mm-hmm. Like, what is what are the ways that you can use him that you haven't already that allow him to kind of fill some of the void that's left with John Moran not running 100 pick and rolls a night and running down the defense's throat in transition and, and everything else. Like, obviously, Jaron will probably take more shots. Like, if you just kind of want to break it down that way, his usage in the playoffs last year was about the same as it was in the regular season. I do think he showed at times in some of those playoff games a little bit more uh, in the way of offense, especially in that game one, but I believe Ja played in that game. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I I don't know what it looks like for him, I guess, is is kind of where I'm at from an offensive standpoint for Jaron, and he's the reigning defensive player of the year. So I think he will take a step forward. I'm just curious, like, what does that mean and how much do they trust him to really, like, is he is he – initiating is he is he isolating breaking guys down and face up is he running in transition is he i don't know so the reason i think i picked him is because i think we're gonna learn something i think this was an easy pick for me because we're going to learn something about him and about what he can be during the stretch bane i think like it's much clearer to project kind of what this might look like. I don't think that's a particularly complicated exercise. I think it's important to see maybe what his ceiling is going to be, but it's more linear. It's more easy to map. Jackson is not. And I, as good as he is on defense, I think we're still figuring out what he is on offense. So I went with him just because I, I want to learn here. I want to figure some stuff out with Jaron Jackson over the stretch. So Desmond Bain... I agree. It is more linear. It is more clear. He took a big leap in terms of his playmaking last year. He continued to hit threes at a really high level, just sort of added to his game without subtracting, which I think is is pretty impressive. He's one of those guys, Chris, you look at, you maybe watch him and you think one thing, and then you look at his stats and you're like, it's kind of hard to poke a hole 
in his game. Yeah. I think the one hole you would poke is that he's a little undersized. Yes. And what is the diet of scoring and creating when getting to the basket is not really in the cards for you at the highest of high levels is what we're going to see, I guess, in the, in some of the first few games, because last year he had a career high 30% rim frequency. I don't know really if it's going to get much higher than that over the course of his career. And he only finished 62% of those shots. Um, in terms of his foul drawing, it went up. But again, don't think that's going to be a core part of what he does for you. So are you talking about kind of a better passing clay? You know, or what? what is the a more physically capable J.J. Redick? You know, like what? It, what is the what's the. What's the path? Uh, and I think in terms of big picture, it also matters. It's not just about when Jaw's out, right? Because I don't mm-hmm. think they have enough half-court offense even when Jaw is healthy. I think that's actually an interesting conversation because I think we've kind of also forgotten how great they were at various points in the playoffs and how wide open them winning a title actually has been a couple times. But even with Jaw back by April with mm-hmm. 60 games under his belt, let's assume he stays healthy. Who fills the offensive uh, void is is still going to be a question, even when Jock right. gets back. And so right. that's also part of it. I guess I just... I How much meat do you feel like is on the bone for him? For Bain? Yeah. Considering the size. Mm-hmm. I struggle to see it, personally. Like, I'm not making the case that he is the most important because it will happen. But I also am a little bit interested because we're also not just, this is not the first, they dealt without, with being without Jaw last year, right? So it's like, part of it is we're pulling from what we've already learned and then extrapolating to who continues it or how things continue to change. He did take a leap last year, again, with the assist. So part of me is also just what does it look like if they can maximize both of those guys? If Jaron, to your point is, is doing some things that he wasn't, especially driving to the basket, attacking closeouts, uh, you know, playing center and, and taking advantage of that space. Some of the things we started to see him do and jaws at his peak. Is that enough for their offense in the half court, especially to win a title? And I think the answer could be yes. This is what I was thinking about as I went to uh, sign away my vehicle to be towed 40 miles from my house today, Chris, was could they have won the championship either of the past two seasons? 2022, Jaw goes down in the Warriors series. A lot of Warriors or Grizzlies fans will tell you that they were right there. And if Jaw didn't get hurt, they would have really pushed Golden State. I think you could make a pretty decent case. I believe they won one of the games and were close in the other one with Jaw Healthy, uh, if I have it right, that he played two of those games. And then last year, it's just chaos and, and things kind of fell apart, but they still took the Lakers to, I believe, six. So you could look at that and say that they really had a shot at a championship two straight seasons, even with their limitations and their young guys have gotten better Mm -hmm. where I came down is I just think they match up pretty poorly with 
the Nuggets. That was honestly where I where I landed with it. Yeah, and I and I think in the I think if you look at how they match up like this season when everyone's back and you're looking at how things are projected for them. Gotta be a little tricky just because of the size. I mean, even with Marcus, if it's Bain and Ja out there and you're playing Phoenix, if you're playing the Lakers with LeBron, if you're playing the Warriors, even if that's a little bit different, like I think they have a lot of, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of stuff to figure out on that end of the floor with those guards. So I, it's, and they don't even yeah, have they, like a Dylan, like and, and Marcus is Marcus, but Dylan Brooks was bigger. And like, there is something to be different. It's going to look differently if it, even if it works. Yeah, the combination of Brooks flaming out in more ways than one and the jaw suspension, I think, forced their hand into a an imperfect trade for Smart, considering we know they looked at Ananobi and Bridges at the deadline and they settled for Marcus Smart. You know, that that is not a home run trade. So it's not as if that is a fully a solution to their problems. Who did you have for the player we're going to be talking about by the end of the season? I went David Roddy. They've tried him at the fifth season uh, as a fifth starter in the preseason so far. I just like what he is. If he can shoot it, that's a rock-solid rotation guy, and he's a big body. I mean, he's literally big body Roddy. I think that is just like a frame of a guy, of someone I could see them really needing this year just to be a big wing. Even if he's still learning and growing, I think there's they have a lot. I think the beauty, Brendan, of this team though, and the beauty of what this front office has built to Zach Kleiman's credit, is I think they have like three or four guys that this could be, and it wouldn't really be a surprise. They've put a bunch of options on on the table for themselves to for someone to be a good answer to this question, and not just that's the obligatory answer at the end of the year. I went Roddy just because I like what Roddy is and what he could be. I like the frame. But it, there's, I think there's other good options here. Two things worry me about him, and I'm definitely not ready to panic after one season. Um, first round pick for a reason. Excited to see it. LeBron just obliterated him. Yes. And he's only 6'4". Yes. So he, 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 He's got like a tight end build. Yeah. So it feels like a little bit of a Bane 2.0, not as skilled, of course, as an offensive player, but it's like, what is that guy in a, in a team that already has, you know, tiny John Morant and, and Desmond Bain? I, his strength is going to have to be his differentiator. And of course, measuring him against LeBron James is pretty unfair as a rookie. Like, I'm, I'm not going to overreact to that, but... Um, it sucked for him to have to get shoved into that, and I, I don't want to overreact, but those two things worry me. Now, my pick, definitely not any more proven, and that's the other part of this is like there are four or five guys, but there's also no one guy that you feel great about, so it's like a good and a bad. So I went Zaire Williams. So this, so I know this we've was my number about two. A lot. This was my number two. He has done some stuff in preseason, Brendan, that has made me perk my eyes up a little bit with him. Mm-hmm. He's one of these guys that I think is really – almost impossible to evaluate if we're just being honest. Like he just hasn't played a lot in the league. He is the type of player that dominated in college. He kind of reminds me of like what we're in for in terms of this draft cycle with um, Jaden. What is his name? Uh, Cody Williams, Jalen Williams, brother at Colorado mm-hmm. this year, who is like a guy who is a five-star recruit, got a lot of attention, but you start to watch him and you're like, 
no, he's actually not going to be like Andrew Wiggins or Kevin Durant or something like he's, he's not actually a scorer. And I think Zaire Williams went to Stanford way back when, and that was the bill on him. Oh, he's, you know, the next five-star wing scorer. He's going to be Brandon Ingram. He's going to be Jabari Parker. He's going to be Jason Tatum. No, he's not that at all, but that doesn't mean he can't evolve into a three and D player. And so I just like him being how big he is having somewhat of a track record of making threes. He made, uh, let's see, 32% two years ago in 1300 minutes. That's not any sort of elite number to write home about, but that's a solid starting point. And considering that not even just Roddy and Bain and jaw and Rose and smart are relatively undersized, but you also have Luke Kennard, who's undersized on this team. You have Santi Aldama, who's not really like a forceful athletic guy, John Conchar, Jake LaRavia, I thought about picking here actually, because I think physically once he clicks, he's going to be able to play. He just like I saw him very close one time last season when he was doing stretching and warmups and stuff. And I'm like, you have like a teenager body, brother. Like you got to you're a long way away. You know, like we all know what that's like. I'm not six five. I'm not a professional athlete, but I know what doughy is. And that man was doughy. So but I think once he clicks, he could play and he's pretty big. So I just like that that Zaire feels the most ready to fill something that they need. And that's really it. I, I don't know if he's going to be some sort of game changer, but let's just say he could become a rotation player, three and D guy with size and length. Like every team needs that. Yeah. If he pops, that's like the, the one, and this is, this is the spot on the floor they've been searching for. Right, I mean, yep, this exactly. has been the this has been their troublesome spot, and he has had some starts, ups, and starts. It's tricky. I also just feel like Brennan, this could be the answer we're looking at here is just like a trade they make at some point, and like the guy we talk about is just like, hey, they consolidated a couple of these guys and like a pick or two, and went and got someone to fill the spot. It also could just be Stephen Adams, frankly, being like, <laughs> oh yeah, you know, like yeah. he's a difference maker and that guy you if how much how much brennan for you to get screened by steven adams full go how much money would you need i think i would pass out see like i kind of want to experience it so i just seemed like i just just take me out to dinner after and i'll take the screen what, the other part of it though that's funny with screening though is like i'm not sure i could actually get up to the level of speed to hurt myself enough yeah, you know but I, mean? I think like, he, uh, yeah, NBA yeah. athletes are at a full sprint and then they get smashed by his body. I don't even think I could get to moving fast enough to be like a, you know, Mikhail Bridges trying to fight through a screen and get clobbered. I would just be at like a light jog and probably just kind of bounce off. And I don't know if it would even hurt because the momentum, the physics of it would just be like letting me off the hook. I just think he set, I think there's something in his screening that is like th- throwing another layer at this. You know, it's I don't not think like he's... a still thing. It's actually like force in the other direction somehow. I, I, it has to be. I just moving screen. Like guys make contact on screens. Like as a bad basketball player, like growing up, like I would do stuff on screens because I needed to leverage myself somehow. So you think Stephen Adams is a bad basketball player? <laughs> no, no. I think that's I what you not. said. Yeah, you cut that out. Uh, coming at me. All right, best lineup. Obviously, let's. I'm, I put John Moran in this conversation because I think you have to. So I went. I. I. In speaking of Stephen Adams, I went Josh Smart and Bain, Triple J and Adams. I just think like that's the five guys I kind of trust right now. I don't love any of my other options to put Triple J at the five right now. With with 
just kind of the uncertainty around some of those guys right now. And I think you have to put the three guards, the three, those three dudes, even though Marcus is kind of going to defend threes and do all this other stuff. I think that has to be the five on paper. If you're assuming Josh back and assuming that none of these guys really pops in a way that that changes the equation, it allows you to put Triple J at the five. Or because there's not even like a Brandon Clark here if you wanted to make that case because he's obviously out. Just casually deciding to have surgery. I, uh, yeah, you know who else doesn't like any of the combos he has to play Jaron at the five? Taylor Steve Jenkins. Kerr. Yeah, that's true. Steve yeah. Kerr didn't really like any of those combos, I don't think. Uh, did that? He said, did hey, Joe. Retrospect, did that surprise how do you? Wanna, you? How do you feel about spending next summer in Paris with us? And Joel Embiid was like, okay. Um, does it surprise me that Jaron performed poorly in FIBA? <laughs> no. Uh, no, that, no, I mean, I wasn't no, being sarcastic. Not, I just wanted to make sure I had your question right so I can answer it. I, well, no, that, that, that Kerr didn't like love playing him at the five. Because I kind of thought he might. Oh. No, I think Kerr did play him at the five plenty. I just don't think he liked it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, he didn't yeah, like okay. it on the back end because it sucked, not because he didn't want to do it. That's what I mean. Um, let me get he, the center that I'll like, give me, let me get the center. Fair. Yeah. Let me get the center I'll never be able to coach. Exactly. Who's big. Yeah. yeah, I think it has to be this. Um, even looking back through last year, there's really no Jackson at the five lineup uh, that really played, period. And then... Uh, especially that that succeeded. We can look at the playoffs, which, of course, he was forced into action there, and they had no positive lineups. So it just, it, there's no track record of it. So I think it has to be what you said. If that lineup doesn't work for them, they're in trouble. I mean, that's their five best players by a mile. So I don't, I don't think it's super debatable. I guess without Jaw in, first portion of the season, you could probably have some debate. I would lean probably bigger with smart as more of like the one and then another yeah. wing in place of jaw uh, instead of like canard or something. So again, probably I would just pick Zaire Williams, but yeah, I mean, jaw is such a big force in, in terms of off on and everything revolves around him. So over the course of the season, I think it's, it's the, it's the starters. Do you think they'll miss Tyus Jones? They'll probably miss Tyus Jones in terms of making the role players better. Like, I think that's what kind of high floor point guards tend to do more so than like breaking stuff open with the ceiling of a team. They really sure. loved more than I think we all realized to play. Like, they got good stuff out of playing Jaw and Tyus together. And I think that's something that gets lost. I just, you probably would just hope that Bane's playmaking leap alleviate some of that and Bain can just kind of be that secondary creator now in a way that he wasn't two years ago. So yes, I think they'll miss him, but he, uh, best backup point guard of the league. Like that's a valuable asset to have, but that guy doesn't play in the playoffs. If your best player is also a point guard. Yeah, I think that's fair. I just, he's, he would have been like more, probably more useful than Derek Rose. No disrespect to Derek Rose, but like that would have been like a better 25 game bridge gap. But you go in this other direction, I get why you do it, all that stuff. All right, best case. Brennan, I wouldn't make a conference finals run once Jaw's back and they finally level themselves up in some way, hitting some promise that hasn't fully been realized yet. Question. Do you have them in the same mm -hmm. tier as the Lakers and Warriors behind the Nuggets and Suns I, right now? Or a tier below that? I have them... In terms of like title it, upside. Championship upside. Lower. 
I think I just, I think I have him in the same tier. I think I have him at the same time. I wouldn't be surprised if they are as like similar regular season teams, but I feel better about the other two in terms of like navigating the whole playoff thing. And that some of that is just because like we've seen those teams do it. And there's stuff with this. This team is going to have to look a little bit different this year where like I can kind of project the other teams. And I think there's some projection here and stuff I want to see before I feel more confident in that. Yeah, they've just they've been competitive in the second round, you know, like I so I'll 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 say that they're in the, the same tier as the Lakers and Warriors. And if I think that, then I have to say the same thing about the Memphis Grizzlies as I do about those teams, which is they they can make the finals. And if you can make the finals, you can win the finals. So I guess best case for me with them is they can win a championship. I still think that I mean, there's drama, there's off the court stuff that we didn't get into because it's immeasurable and who knows, but. If they can avoid all that stuff this year and that gets cleaned up, I think as a basketball team, they have the upside to still win a championship potentially. A lot of stuff has to break right. I'm not saying they will do that, but I think they could. I just also would say, like when when I think about them getting past the coverage finals, I just don't like how they match up with the teams they're going to have to play in that spot. That's part of my calculus here. I think they match up pretty well with everybody except for the Nuggets. I don't think they match up well with Phoenix. No. The Phoenix has, I think like, that they're going to the get center, yeah it, yeah the center stuff is I, what it is the guards are just like Booker Beal and Durant as guys to attack their guards Marcus can only be in one spot yeah I that's like the one on one matchups I guess I just worry about yeah the the Suns would would demand that Memphis brings a level of half court offense that we've never seen them bring. bingo so bingo. They're probably similar to Denver in that way, but they also have a worse defense. So I think the Suns have the worst defense than the Nuggets, as crazy as that sounds. So at least right now. Yeah, they probably don't match up great with either one. I think they're pretty even with the Warriors and Lakers, even though the Lakers, even though both of those teams also play small, we've seen them be competitive with both of those teams in the postseason. I, I kind of trust that, but maybe those other two are a little bit out of reach right now. And and the Lakers are going to be able to go big this year in a way I think it's, they're going to have some lineups that are just like huge. You're a Christian Wood guy? No. Well, did you, this Giannis... Big Jackson Hayes thing. dude? Well, I was more thinking like Reeves. Who's, who's the guy they got from Miami before I say the wrong one? Gave, they got Caleb Vincent, Martin. But that's not exactly going big. Okay, but like him at the one, Reeves, LeBron, Rui, or like take out one, take out Vincent and put in Torian Prince, and it's like you have. I don't think that's that much bigger than Memphis, but AD is just a behemoth who you have to account for. And we talked about LeBron just destroying the like the Grizzlies last plays. I think it's yeah, but I think the role players are pretty equivalent. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. All right. uh, Worst case, uh, the defense. I think at the point of attack just isn't great enough against guards, just with their size issues right now. Smart just doesn't live up to what I think they're asking him to be, which we didn't really talk about a lot, but I think they're asking him to kind of be like a heartbeat of this team and the leader on this team in a lot of ways. The the half-court offense doesn't progress, and they just kind of get, they kind of stall out somewhere in the playoffs again. I don't know if that's first round. I don't know if that's second round, but if this just kind of feels stuck this year, it wouldn't shock me. That That's the worst case to me, is it just kind of gets stuck again, and you're just like, okay, what is this exactly? 
Yeah, I think a version of that that I was thinking, and I, you know, I don't want to be too like galaxy brained about it, but I think a pretty bad outcome for them this year would just be to realize that they really need Steven Adams. Mm-hmm. To your point about Jaron, if if it's another year where it's like when he's off the court, things feel really uneasy and they need him out there, you're probably limited as far as how good you can be if a player like that has to be on the court for you in the modern NBA. So if it's a season where he's too important, I think that's kind of a version of the worst case. And I think it speaks to the kind of fizzling out that you're talking about. So that's probably what I would, what I would say. And there's plenty of other little player parts of that too, but um, I don't think they're going to trade anybody. I don't think they're going to blow this team up. I don't think they're going to fire a bunch of people, but the basketball fit seeming questionable would would be pretty tough because they don't have a ton to trade to upgrade anymore you know a lot of these young guys didn't Mm -hmm. hit so they're not really blue chippers it's like what are you trading theoretical zaire williams some bad first round picks and like luke Kennard salary like it's it's all of the pick it's it's all of the picks like it has to just be every pick you can do but they got rid of some for uh for smart right one of their own yeah and And the warriors pick and it's like, what are you getting? You know, I think is the the question. Like, what are you targeting? Like, are you even getting able to get OG? You know, like OG. No, I don't makes, think so. I don't think they have enough. And like, is I just, like, are you gonna are you gonna be the team that like talks them into like Jeremy Grant? I don't know if I want to be in that situation. Mm-hmm. Over under. Over under is at forty five and a half. Mm-hmm. I would stay away just based on job missing 25 games is my first instinct. That's like my first, just like that. That's just a big chunk of the season. That is over a quarter of the NBA season. That is just gone. I went, I still think I just lean over. They were statistically a 53 win team last year and jaw did miss time. Sometime. You know? Yeah. Um, as did Jaron at the beginning of the season. This team is never healthy, so you can't even necessarily say that they like really have hit their ceiling. Ja played 61 games last year. That's kind of a good year for him, even with all the suspension crap and everything. Bain played mm-hmm. 58, and Jaron played 63. So, you know, uh, and then obviously Steven Adams missed half the year plus the postseason. So they won 53 even with all that, or they statistically were a 53-win team. They actually won 51. I'm going to go under because I think that this is a th- this team is probably going to be like what the Warriors and Lakers were last year where they hover mm-hmm. around 6 7 8 but we know they're better than that and then you don't want to play them in the first round. I think that's what this Grizzly season is going to be. Not everybody can win a million games, so I think I went over on Denver, Phoenix, Golden State and LA. I can't keep going over on every single Western Conference team, so I think this one will will be a little under. They'll probably have to worry about the play-in, but I do think they'll probably make the real playoffs and be yeah. a nightmare for a good a good team in the first round. That's what I think will happen this year. We're going to get like a banger 3-6 in the West. Kind of feels like we always do. But I think the I just I think the way the town Brendan is going in the league and I think this is the case in both conferences but it's going to feel more so in the West this year just based on some of the East stuff. I think we're just going to get like banger after banger after banger first round series in the West this year. Yeah. The East is going to suck. I mean, the East is going to have some really good teams and then like a bunch of just like, are you sure about that? 
The East is going to make Knicks fans feel like they're title contenders. They they <laughs> probably will feel that way anyway. Um, I mean, look, the, just let's just run through the teams in in the West real quick that I would think that that have aspirations to be a top six seed realistically. Because I think the Rockets probably in their brains are like, we can get there, but like you can't get there, fellas. Even though you spent all this money, Nuggets, Grizzlies, Kings, Suns, Clippers, Warriors, Lakers, Wolves, Thunder, Mavs, Pelicans. Is that all fair? All teams with realistic ish chances to be top six. Well, yeah, but that's exactly why the West was a bloodbath last year. It was like one through twelve were were. Uh, separated by like five games, nine teams above five hundred, nine. Yeah, last yeah, year was Kings. Last year was Kings Warriors three six. That could be. We talked about this on the Kings preview. That could just be flipped, and I'd be like, sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was the other I, one I went I just, under on is Sacramento. So yeah, there you go. Uh, I don't. I just want to say before we transition to Sean Woodley, I don't want Grizzlies Lakers in the playoffs this year. I'm good. Shannon Sharp does. Give me like Grizz. Give me like Grizzlies Clippers. It would be really fun to get Grizzlies Nuggets in the first round. Yeah, I'm into and that. That's not out of the question. If they're if the if the Grizzlies like a playing team, yeah. Or the Nuggets just don't take the regular season seriously. <laughs> like I could see Jokic. Jokic is just watching horse racing on his phone for like nine months. And it's like, Nicola, we've only, we need to win more than like 40 games. And he like kicks ass for a couple weeks. It's not out of the question. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't like when teams keep playing one another either. I, I hope we get it a little bit mixed up, but I think it's going to be exactly as clustered as it was. I don't think Denver or Phoenix are going to be so dominant that they're like above and beyond everybody else. And I think it's going to be down to the wire once again. Yeah. All right. Coming up next, Sean Woodley locked on Raptors. Let's dive into the funky, funky Toronto basketball team. Coming in in three, two, one. Let's preview the Raptors now. Sean Woodley locked on Raptors. He's filling in on locked on Blue Jays. He's a man of, of many talents. Sean, my friend, how are you? I was filling in on lockdown Blue Jays, and then the Blue Jays decided to do what the Blue Jays do in the playoffs, and so I'm not doing that anymore. But uh, it's nice to hear that you think I have many talents. That's very kind. Thanks for having me, boys. <laughs> Sean, you're, you're talented. Was... Don't worry. Don't let anyone ever yeah. tell you otherwise. <laughs> Sean, Sean, this this is going to tip my hand for a, uh, an answer to a question, Lander, but you're more te- to me right now. You know, you're grading on higher than a certain weird white boy that plays for the Toronto Raptors. <laughs> Who's in a Drake video? Okay. I, I don't even know who's been in the Drake videos. I'm assuming that's Grady Dick because uh, I, I think he's There's only one weird white boy on the there, team. There, yeah. he, uh, he has the, he, well, he's the, the NBA's weird white boy now. He has that crown. I don't know who else competes with him for weird white boy status anymore. I digress. We don't need to spend any more, much more time talking about Grady Dick, at least until a little bit later. And you guys tell me I'm nuts for the, the, where I put him in this. Most important players, how we're going to start with this. If you don't know, we go most important player, player we talk about at the end of the season, best lineup, best case, worst case, and over under for our previews. Sean, as the guest, who is your most important player on the 2023-24 Toronto Raptors? I mean, it's chalk, but it's Scotty Barnes. Uh, you know, yeah. third year ascendant potential star had a bit of a stagnation in year two. You know, I, I think maybe Scotty Barnes's second season was a little bit overblown in terms of it, how bad it was or how, you know, 
unimpressive it was. I think there were a lot of things that he kind of figured out that he's pretty good at. Uh, it was a weird team context. The team changed a whole bunch around him uh, as the season went along as well. And, you know, it wasn't great, but he comes into this season kind of as the guy. And, you know, I, I think a lot of stuff is going to flow through him. You know, new head coach Darko Ryakovic has talked a ton about wanting the ball more in Scotty's hands just because, frankly, he's a very dynamic player. He's a really good passer. He's, you know, probably one of the best passers in the NBA already. And it makes sense to want to have the ball in that guy's hands. You know, the challenges for Scotty Barnes this year are going to be more about the team around him once again in the team context in that there's not a lot of shooting on this team. There's a lot of overlap of skills. It's kind of a weird roster. They traded for a center with a first round pick who doesn't really fit well with their best players or at least not with Scotty and Pascal Siakam and you know there's going to be a lot of challenges to overcome just kind of getting through the slog of the half court with Scotty Barnes having the ball in his hands more often but he's going to be a menace in transition I think a defensive jump is coming for him as well and if he can just kind of tap back into the some of the stuff he did as a rookie really well then you could be looking at someone who is like a fringe all-star type of everything goes beautifully smoothly. Do I think that's going to happen? Probably not. This is the NBA. Nothing goes as you want it to. But I think the upside there for Scotty Barnes remains. The flashes that Scotty Barnes has shown in his best moments have been pretty ridiculous. And the thing that has me feeling pretty good about him coming into this year is the end of last year, one of the things he really noted, and I think the, the Raptors noted too, was that his conditioning just wasn't there. If you went through a a lot of the Raptors games last season, you'd see Scotty Barnes kind of float, meander. Then all of a sudden, the last eight minutes of a game kicks in and Scotty Barnes becomes this like otherworldly game changing force. He just could only do that for like a fourth quarter every other game. And it just wasn't enough for the Raptors to get by. And he talked about his conditioning not being where it needed to be. And he talked about how the main addition to his offseason regimen was just running a whole lot. And I think this team is going to run a ton when they run. Scotty Barnes is going to be orchestrating a lot of that. And if he's got the conditioning to hold up over, you know, 33 to 36 minutes a night, I think we could see Scotty Barnes tap into all that very substantial potential we saw when he went one rookie of the year back a couple years ago i dug pretty deep to try to find any category that i could make the case that scotty like grew in one area i'm interested if you have one sean but yeah whether like it's it's like just statistically to run through it like volume field goal percentage efficiency stuff okay not not really quite obviously jumping out even play type things there's some areas um you know, play type can be kind of hard because it's such a small amount of time that a player is even doing one hmm. thing or another on the court. It really matters if they get best better at the play types they run most often. I don't know if he necessarily did. So I have a question here, and I, I posed this with R.J. Barrett when we were doing our Knicks preview, sure. saying that R.J. Barrett is a worse passing Scotty Barnes right now. <laughs> and I... I have a question in here. It's funny that we ended up doing these kind of back to back, but my question on Barnes was what can he do to ensure that he's not just a better free throw shooting, more physical Ben Simmons? I mean, that's a very fair question. I think the thing with Scotty, like as far as things that went better last year than they did as a rookie, yeah, statistically, not a whole lot, right? Like he basically fell off in his shooting percentages from every quarter of the floor. Uh, you know, he he just, you know, it wasn't great. It, it was it was a tough go. And again, I think the team context has a lot to do with that. I think a thing that he really 
showed off as like a really exciting thing that he can kind of have in his bag is as a short roll big man. Like Scotty Barnes, I know everyone wants to say he's a point guard. This dude can be a center and can do it really well. Like he is someone who, when you get him the ball in the short roll, he can go and score over dudes. There was a game against the Bucks last season where, uh, you know, this was very early on in like kind of them playing a lot of Scotty at the five. Uh, this was before the Jakob Pertle trade. And, you know, they, they kind of made this switch. They, they roll Scotty as a five. And teams were sagging off of him. You probably saw like the clips on the internet of like the Pacers or the Bucks just being like, well, we're not going to deal or do anything with you. But when you give him space to chew up, he can be a really deadly scorer. He had a game against the Bucks, like I said, where like five or six straight possessions, he just chewed up space and scored over Brooke Lopez with pretty real ease. Like it was kind of remarkable to watch. It was one of these fourth quarters where Scotty becomes like an out of body experience type guy. Um, and so him working for the middle of the floor and just kind of having optionality where he can make use of his physical sort of gifts where he can kind of bully to any spot that he wants to get to or the passing vision that he has, which is the thing he has on display. That's like the most obvious high end skill. I think that's a thing that the Raptors are going to try to do more this year. And I think that's going to put Scotty in a position to really succeed. I think, you know, they're going to run a ton of stuff with him at the elbows this season. This has been a big part of the Raptors sort of preseason conversation. There's a lot of elbow stuff with Yaka Pertle and Scotty Barnes as the creators. You know, Scotty can do it all in that spot, right? Assuming he can kind of get back to hitting mid-range jumpers, uh, which he did as a rookie, didn't do so much last year. But he can get downhill and score over people. He can make plays out of those situations. Like, you look at the numbers playing on off of guys like Gary Trent Jr., a really good shooter, like the two-man combo of Scotty Barnes and Gary Trent Jr., totally devastating on offense. And I think, you know, again, it's not nothing on the stat sheet that would make you see. I mean, his assists went up by like one a game or whatever last year. Nothing on the stats necessarily says he took a step forward, but I think his sort of understanding of the game and the understanding of the ways in which he can kind of pick apart defenses with his passing really took a step. I also think he took a step on defense last year. He's not a good on-ball defender by any means. Like he'll get blown by guys. He kind of forgets he has a seven-foot-five wingspan or whatever, uh, and will just kind of crowd guys too closely. But as like a help defender, as a rover, as someone who's kind of just there to kind of be long, help at the rim when when you know it's sort of the last ditch effort. He got pretty good at that last year, and I think we could see a little bit more of that kind of tapped into this year. And I think something that the team is sort of dealing with right now could lead to more of Scotty in those positions where he can kind of do the things he does best. Christian Coloco, their you know second round pick from last year, was figured to be the backup center coming into the season. I think you know we had really good on off metrics last season, really good defensive numbers, um, but he's been out with respiratory issues since summer league, and we have no idea when he's going to be back. I think that kind of opens up like 10 to 15 minutes a game of just pure Scotty at the five. And I have a lineup that we'll get to in a sec that I'm very excited about that features Scotty at the five uh, that I think could really be like a core sort of fallback on lineup that the Raptors could really, you know, cook with. And I think, um, you know, again, there's, there's going to be a lot for Scotty. There's a lot on his plate this season. It is a, a massive season for him. And the Raptors have basically put all their eggs in his basket. This is a weird team and a sort of and a bit of a crossroads. All of their very big questions and problems get a lot easier if Scotty Barnes just becomes the dude this year. They're asking a lot of him, but I, I do think that you know, with you know, frankly, not Nick Nurse coaching this team and a bit of a fresh set of eyes on how to use Scotty and get him the ball in interesting ways, I do think we are in line for Scotty to take something of a leap this season. 
It's it's Scotty Barnes. If you think Scott, if you don't think Scotty Barnes is the most important player for the Raptors team, I think you're nuts. Mm. I think you know what you're talking about. Like it, it has to be him. <laughs> this is this is a player who is probably their best announced option to fill the big creation sized hole in their roster. And mm-hmm. if he takes step forward and some of that promise gets fulfilled on, it's him and his team will be better for it. And he's, and he's a long-term piece. And not that year three is your end-all be-all, but this feels like an important year for Barnes and mm-hmm. where he's going to me from the outside. Uh, let's move on to player we'll be talking about at the end of the season. Unless Brent, did you, Do we all have the same Scotty person well? again? Who did you guys pick? I have Grady I, Dick. So I have Grady yeah. Dick as well. Okay. Awesome. I don't have so, Grady Dick. I'm curious why you okay, guys have good. Grady Dick. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the spirit of this one tends to be the young guy who we kind of think as somebody think of as somebody who could break out or sure. do something that the team doesn't currently have. I, I'm always curious when we, when we do have guests for these and there are some questions on role, like, is he going to play? I think is probably mm-hmm. the place you have to start. Um, but just looking at their roster, and it's not breaking any new ground to say that shooting is a major need for this team, Yep. especially with Van Vliet gone now. And even though Ananobi and some of the other guys can make some spot-up shots, it's not exactly like they are difference makers, defense benders with their shooting um, outside of Dick, I think, and, and Gary Trent Jr. And then, you know, I think Otto Porter, if, if he's healthy, like maybe that changes things. Like there are some downstream or down roster guys who – I'm curious about and maybe do block Grady Dick out from playing. But, you know, obviously, look, we all know what he is. He's he's a, a big movement shooter. That's a pretty valuable archetype. That's why he was a lottery pick. Summer league and preseason don't seem like they've gone spectacularly well for him to make you think he's just going to hit the ground running. Um, but I just think if there's anybody to kind of plug in who – provide something that they don't already have. I thought about Coloco and then, you know, you mentioned why he's, why he's gone. I've always kind of been high on him, but it doesn't seem like that's in the cards. So if I'm just looking at the younger non Scotty players on this team, he's just sort of where my attention is really going to be paid this year if he plays. So I guess that's the place to pass it back to you, Sean. Is he going to be in this rotation uh, at least early on this season? I think it's, I mean, I would have him in the rotation for all the reasons you just said. I I think this roster lacks shooting and he is a very clear guy who can just add some shooting. I know there are concerns about his defense. My concerns don't quite match those. Like, yeah, he's probably going to get bullied at times. Like he's not a super strong guy. He's kind of a beanpole, but he's a good team defender. He's never going to be guarding the best player on the other team or anything like that. He's just going to be there to, uh, you know, just take shots and do positional defense, right? Like it's not like a huge assignment sure. he's going to have. Um, I think the interesting thing with Grady is, you know, the, just there's a lot of dudes on this roster who are going to get minutes, right? Like this is, you know, not like last year's Raptors. If everyone's healthy, this team has like 11 NBA players they're going to roll through. And I think Grady Dick is going to be kind of fighting on the periphery of the rotation early on in the season. I think he's going to be out there, you know, kind of fighting for minutes with Chris Boucher, Precious Achua, Otto Porter Jr., um, Jalen McDaniels. You know, I I think 
it's going to be it's a very crowded wing core for this Raptors team. Again, I have Grady Dick out there. I just think his three point shooting is so valuable, especially on a team where you're trying to maximize Scotty Barnes. I think the reason they took a Grady Dick was, wow, this guy might be a really great fit next to Scotty Barnes. And so I'd like to see it. Um, I think at some point by like December, he's probably in the rotation and I would have him in well ahead of that. But it might be a little bit up and down to start the year if there are other guys that maybe the Raptors are looking to showcase for trades or um, if there's just you know the other guys who are making a better claim for minutes like they maybe have in the preseason so far that said i don't think he's going to remain on the bench long i don't think he's going to be someone who they stick down to the g league for a season or anything like that maybe he gets a little g league run here here and there but for me like grady dick is the type of player who's never going to be someone who's going to run 30 pick and rolls a game he's someone who's going to be an amplifier of good players why not start his development curve by playing him with good players right out of the gate and seeing if his shooting gravity can help make the lives of those very good players a little bit easier i it's the three-point shooting for me it's just they need someone to space they need someone to stretch even if it's in small spurts this is just a team i think in real need of someone to just do what grady dick projects to be and i would just say too this shouldn't be like a all-in season for Toronto and I think if there if there's ever been a spot to maybe just let someone struggle a little bit and play along some of the guys that are your leaders of this franchise even if uh, Masai Ujiri says weird stuff about them in media day <laughs> I think this is a good opportunity to blend like two timelines doesn't ever really work but you can do a version of that here that I think can make some sense and Grady Dick is a, is a part of that so Sean what, what's your answer? My answer is actually someone I briefly mentioned there, and it's maybe not in the vein of like a young guy who's about to take a big step, but so yeah, kind of high okay. on yes, uh, no, kind of high on Jalen McDaniels and his fit on this team. I, I think he like he's just like a Raptorsy player. Uh, John Hollinger actually had him as like one of the best value signings of the offseason. They signed him for like four and a half million bucks. Uh, I think Hollinger has him as like an eleven million dollar player, just the player he's been throughout his career which hasn't been anything you know groundbreaking or anything like that but he's someone who's had some shooting upside that he's kind of tapped into in the past for for spurts here and there you know he shot 40 percent on limited volume in his stretch with philly last year he had a 38 percent season in 21 22 with the hornets uh, and if he can be like a 35 36 percent guy I, I think his defense and most notably his cutting are going to be really valuable on this team this is a team that's going to have a lot of spacing trouble this is a team that's going to have issues with you know kind of guys operating in the same parts of the floor and i think guys who really succeed around players like pascal siakam and scotty barnes are guys who really know how to cut and kind of find little pockets of space within cramped confines like chris boucher is really good at this og and is really good at this and so far in preseason it looks like jalen mcdaniels is going to be really good at this too and i, I think jalen mcdaniels has a chance of being like a, a pretty real rotation player for this team and you know maybe as high as like seventh or eighth on their depth chart um you know it requires him to hit threes which you know he hasn't always done but the type of stuff he does and he's looked really strong in the preseason so far you know the stuff he does i think is going to complement a lot of what these raptors star players do and i could totally see him being like a fifth guy in a lot of really effective lineups for the raptors it makes me excited sean to hear you say that you expect them to run more because in multiple oh, yeah. different spots i have in my notes like 
this could be better if they were just playing a little faster. And Scotty, who you laid out well, is one, but so is Jalen McDaniels. I would say so is Precious Achua. So is almost all the centers on this roster. Like, there's just a lot of guys that it feels like tapping into that is kind of a no-brainer. So the fact that you're kind of highlighting it again with him, yes, the half court, if he's cutting and making shots, gets a lot easier, but He's also somebody who's just, you know, a freakish athlete and has the physical profile to just have some highlight types of plays and transition and put some pressure on the defense that way, too. So yeah. that's an interesting answer. I was I was we don't normally hear the vets, but but uh, it's it's definitely an under the radar guy who I don't know if a lot of people even know is on Toronto. So it's a good shout. Yeah. And look, I, to, the, to the running point, like I, I think this team stands a chance of running even more than they have the last couple seasons where they've kind of had to run just to save their half court offense because the offense has been so grim. And I think this year, you know, it's going to come, I think in a bit of a different way. I don't think we're going to see like the gimmicky sellout to throw two to the ball defense that Nick nurse love to trot out. I don't think we're going to see that. It's going to be a more conservative scheme. You know, last year's team, you know, had a ton of steals, led the league in steals, historic numbers of steals. They also were 29th in terms of corner threes allowed as a percentage of shots and 23rd in shots allowed at the rim. Uh, like it, it, they had to concede way too much to sort of manufacture these sort of gimmicky steals. Whereas I think this year it's just going to be kind of a directive to run when you get a rebound. And this team is going to be a damn good rebounding team. I think on both ends, they're huge. Jakob Pertle's like a one man rebounding crew. And I think you're going to see. Scotty, Pascal, McDaniels, OG, um, even Precious sometimes, they're going to get those rebounds and it's going to be go, run. Like, don't wait around and try to set up some ISO crap like they did last year in the half court. Uh, and I totally can see this team being the league leader in number of possessions or percentage of possessions that are in transition. Last year, they were fifth, I think 18.6%. Uh, you know, I think top was 20th. And the Grizzlies, notably, who Darko Ryakovich was the right hand man for, were number three. I think it's going to be a very clear directive to run and in a way that doesn't compromise everything you're trying to do on the defensive end the way it did last year when Nick Nurse's defense was just entirely too aggressive and led to them really not having any juice or the legs to keep things up over the course of 48 minutes over 82 games. Uh, we can jump to best lineup real quick, Chris. I just want to give the numbers because it's so that I don't sound dumb because I said they want they should run. I I am aware of the stats Sean said. I also want to just throw out they were 23rd in terms of offensive seconds per possession. So it was very much full fast break or slow yep. it down. And so that's the dynamic that I'm describing. If you can find a better middle ground there, I think it'll go a long way. But best 100%. lineup. Uh, yeah. last I did year, not mean to denigrate your knowledge of no, the Toronto Raptors 2022-23 transition stats, sir. You made me uh, <laughs> You made me feel like I needed to clarify because you, uh, you, you had some information. So it's all good. Uh, all right. Last year's best lineup for this team, Van Vliet, Ananobi, Barnes, Siakam, Pirtle. Statistically, in terms of the high volume lineups, that was the one that performed best. Mm -hmm. Should not come as much of a surprise. We all know all five of those names. And I didn't venture too far away from that, but it sounds like, Sean, you might have. So uh, maybe I, I, I have a lineup I want to be their best lineup. Uh, but I do think their best lineup is probably going to be some combination of OG, Pascal, Scotty, yak and someone else and i think that someone else 
should be Gary Trent Jr. I don't think that's going to happen to start the season. I think they're going to start with Dennis Schroeder in there. And look, that lineup has its pluses, right? That lineup is going to be an absolute menace defensively. Dennis Schroeder is a much better on-ball defender than Fred Van Vliet was at the stage he was at last year. There's no doubt about that. That team is going to force a ton of misses. They're going to run a million times off of those misses all season long. It's going to be great. I think the half-court offense for that lineup could be really bad because Dennis Schroeder, for all the good he brings, uh, you know, and look, I'm not going to get into the FIBA stuff. He was great. He's also been great for Germany for the last 10 years, like as a rule, and he's still been Dennis Schroeder in the NBA. So I'm tempering my expectations a little coming into this year, as I think most Raptors fans should. Um, but the thing with that lineup is, for all the good Schroeder does on the defensive end, just kind of with a little extra gear of speed, he can kind of take dudes off the bounce in a way Fred maybe couldn't. The pull-up shooting and the lack of it is going to be like a real impediment to this lineup making any sort of hay, right? Like Schroeder's been like a sub 30% pull-up guy basically his entire career on very little volume. Fred Van Vliet, for all that there was wrong with Fred Van Vliet by the end of last year, had like four and a half pull-up attempts a game at like 34%. That's huge. And it changes the way the defense had to guard that Fred Yak pick and roll. I think these Schroeder yak pick and roll is going to be a lot easier to guard this year. And so they're going to have to get more creative with, you know, Pascal running stuff or Scotty running stuff and maybe Schroeder being more of a catch and shoot guy, which I just don't think is the best use of Dennis Schroeder. I'd rather see him run with the bench, get, you know, get them up and down, organize and, and all that stuff. Gary Trent Jr. for me, if he's alongside Barnes, Siakam, Ananobi and Pirtle, that lineup had really bad results last season. Like, you know, first percentile level offense results, not very good at all. But I do think with a little bit more of a directive, okay, okay, things are running through Scotty. We're going to run stuff at the elbows. You've got the shooting of OG and Gary to kind of play off of Siakam and Yak and Barnes. I think Siakam's actually in line for a jump back in his three-point shooting this year as well. He's not going to be playing 38 minutes a game like he has the last like four seasons under Nick Nurse. He's actually going to get a reprieve. I think his responsibilities on offense are going to be lessened. And I think he's got a chance of kind of tapping back into the three-point shooting he flashed between like 2018 and 2020, where he was like a perfectly fine 36%-ish guy and actually had a lot of pull-up juice to him as well. And so I think you can roll Barnes as like your nominal point guard. You have Yak in there. Yeah, like the Yak-Scotty pick and roll is probably pretty easy to just switch and dare Scotty to go blow by your bigs, which he hasn't shown a great capacity for. But I do think there's something there. Um, you know, And then you get Pascal, obviously, is going to run a lot of stuff. And just like the extra shooting and space that OG and Gary will provide is trigger, man. I, I think that lineup could be pretty damn good on offense You know, compared to what it was last year. And I think defensively, again, you know, you throw all that length onto the floor. You have Yaka Pirtle there to clean things up at the back line. That's going to be a very good defensive lineup as well. So that's probably their best lineup. My like sneaky lineup I badly want to see. I talked about Scotty at the five. Pascal yeah. with OG, Scotty at the five, and then filling in the wings, you got Otto Porter Jr. and Jalen McDaniels. Uh, good luck scoring you're on that. You're, you're, you're just, Sean, you're disgusting. You need, you need help. Oh, I'm a little like sicko. You. I'm a little piggy. I'm nasty. Um, but, like, give me that lineup. It's got a little bit of shooting juice. It's got insane switchability across the board. You get the Pascal-Scotty pick and roll, which I kind of think might be their best pick and roll combination uh, when you combine Pascal's pull-up mid-range game that he's added the last couple of years and Scotty having that sort of surveying from the middle of the floor, scoring over dudes. You know, it was in a game against an Australian team, but they ran it a couple times uh, in their last preseason game. And it gender it just generated obvious, very easy looks and dunks and all this stuff. And so I think that's going to be 
the sort of best core pick and roll play to go to. And then you dot that with shooting in the form of Otto Porter and Jalen McDaniels and OG. I think that lineup could be really good. It's like, I can't stop thinking about that lineup. I want to see it very badly. Will we see it? I have no idea. But for me, that's like my dream of that becomes the best lineup. And uh, we're sitting there laughing as the, like the Raptors own second quarters and like the beginning of fourth quarters with that sort of staggered look. My mind, this is pretty straightforward for me. I just put the five players together who will play like functional NBA basketball. And I kind of know what I'm getting <laughs> and it's Schroeder, OG Siakam, Barnes and Pirtle. Yeah. The, th- the thing that I also just like about this and Sean, you've hit on this with the rebounding is that this team is just going to be really big. Yep. Massive. Like OG through Pirtle two through five, whatever order you want to can organize the wings and what positions they are going to play and, and, and the forwards. That's just three big fucking dudes who are going to be yeah. really annoying for other teams to play. And you can throw a lot of different looks. You can build different schemes around it. Like that is just a way to be really hard to play. Even if some of the other stuff doesn't click or you have to kind of patch together some things at times, that size can be a real advantage when you're playing certain kinds of teams. I mean, you play like, let's say they play Phoenix, you know, like, they have bodies. Catch, Chris, throw. you were about to make it a Cavs thing. I I felt that happen. It was an admirable <laughs> yeah. redirection, yeah. but then you made it about my team. So we're, or, we're okay. Let's say you're, let's say let's say let's say you're playing the Knicks, right? Like it's like yep. okay, yeah. We can like put someone. We can put OG on Brunton, maybe, or someone on Brunton, mm-hmm. and then like they have all these big wings. Okay, that doesn't really phase us. Like RJ Barrett, sure. You want to drive into Pascal Siakam's chest? Good luck with that, buddy. Yep. Well, okay, but uh, so I went with this, the lineup that Sean said first with Trent in the shooter spot. And mm-hmm. just to play devil's advocate, which is not exactly, again, breaking any new ground here. This is a very similar team, but that's exactly the point. They've had those advantages for years. So I'm curious how they evolved beyond that. And I don't know if the Pirtle thing was what I would have done. But with this roster, I, I mean, it's, they it's, have to like, lean into what they have. And, it made and that a lot more sense is, when is, Fred Van Vliet was on the team, for sure. Like yeah, it, it, yeah. Just, it makes a lot less sense if Dennis Schroeder is your lead point guard. No doubt about it. So want to go to best worst case, Chris? Yeah, best case for me. Push for a top six seed, and Barnes takes a really, really big step forward. And it's like, all right, this is a dude. This is living up to the potential that got him to win rookie of the year in a very good rookie class, right? Like, that's the kind of guy you need him to be. If it happens this year and it takes a word with the new coach who's going to do things maybe a little differently, maybe the vibes are better. Oh, the vibes will be better. I can promise you this. Uh, the one sort of prevailing takeaway from training camp is, boy, oh boy, everyone seems really happy Nick Nurse isn't screaming at them and wailing on his guitar anymore. Uh, it's it's a very palpable difference. Everyone's like, wow, a coach who talks to us and doesn't call us out in the media. What a world. Uh, I think it's going to be pretty significant with Darko at, at the helm. It worked out well that we're doing Sixers and, and Raptors on the same episode, Chris. That, uh, <laughs> That that helped us. We got the nurse, the new the nurse duo. For best case, I had uh, Scotty Barnes and OGN and Obi start to look like legit offensive engines. The defense gets a little better, and one or two of the younger role players flash as well. Uh, what do you have for best case, Chris? Well, Sean, I already went. Oh yeah. Oh, uh, Sean. Yes. <laughs> yeah. For me, I think you know, I think push for the six seed in a pretty weak Eastern Conference is probably like I don't think they're going to finish higher than that. But if they can push for six, I think that's on the table if everything kind of breaks right. Obviously, Scotty levels up. Uh, you know, 
in particular, I think he's got to kind of tap back into his mid-range game. Otherwise, I kind of think the whole Scotty lead ball handler thing is going to fall flat on its face and be a disaster. I'm open to that being a thing he can kind of do. Uh, you know, I, I think the depth kind of shows out in this team rolls nine or 10 deep and everyone's like amazed at a Raptors team that doesn't have to rely on seven guys playing 30 plus minutes every night. Like it's the playoffs. And yeah, yeah, I think this team on the back of like a really good defense, like a top five defense uh, becomes a team that people aren't so uh, like dismissive of, or like sad about when they think about their future. I think Scotty Barnes, if he does the thing, he kind of reveals the future path and also uh, like extending Pascal Siakam probably is in there too. Uh, you could trade him or you could extend him and trade him later for probably more stuff. Uh, that's kind of where I'm at. That's like kind of the weird undercurrent of this entire okay. season as well. <laughs> Sean, I need, we're going to, I need you to answer this in 60 seconds, like quickly, okay. concisely. Yes. What the fuck happened at media day? I, weird stuff, man. I, I don't know. I For me, it kind of felt like Masai Ujiri being like, man, we really screwed the pooch, didn't we? Uh, it was actually how selfish the team was. Uh, that was the problem. Not the weird roster we constructed. It was everyone was really selfish, and Nick Nurse was bad, and Fred Van Vliet was bad. Um, I think Pascal got kind of unfairly lumped into that, honestly. Like, yes, there was the selfishness comment in response to a question about Pascal Siakam. I did not. I was there. I didn't think it was directed at Pascal necessarily. But yeah, the vibes were weird, man. They were very strange. It seems as though bygones are bygones and everything's a little bit copacetic now. So with the murky future and the weird vibes and hopefully better vibes, but trades and extensions and all that type of talk in mind, I'll give my worst case. Um, I think... First, Lay it on me. Schroeder <laughs> is nowhere near what Van Vliet was. Mm-hmm. We start to wonder what the real ceiling is for Scotty Barnes. Mm-hmm. And the team finally sells. I think that's the worst case. Um, you know, and, and that doesn't sound terrible, but it's like our franchise cornerstone might not be as good as we thought and we're kind of tearing it down again. That's yeah. that's pretty ugly. That That is, that can get, you know, especially for a team that lives in the middle, it, it that would feel pretty extreme, I think, for this particular franchise. What do you got, Chris? I think it's that Scotty. It's it's to me. This is really so centered on Scotty. It's just that he's really fine, and that they're a playing team, and maybe they just don't pick a direction. I think that either the play. I think if they are not as good, Sean, as they hope to be, then maybe that's telling you it's time to pivot in some way here and move mm-hmm. some stuff on and get some assets and and re-strategize. And not to not hold out for the best, best possible thing you could have gotten for every possible guy for the sake of value and optics. We will see. I don't think that's exactly what's going to happen. But if that happens and like you just kind of got to reset, I think you got to just go for it. Well, that's why I think the worst case is not the play-in. The worst case, if we're talking about some of these outcomes, I don't think they're making the play-in if if they do some of this or if these guys don't hit. Yeah. I mean, what do you think, Sean? Yeah, I, I have a hard time seeing them out of the play-in, honestly. Like, I, okay. I think they're, they're kind of being painted as, like, one of these lottery food teams. And I just like, I don't really see that. I think they're too talented top to bottom. And I think their defense is just going to give them too high a floor. I think this is going to be a legitimately awesome defense um, just by merely not playing the Nick Nurse brand of insane defense that makes no sense. Um, and, and so for me, worst case is like ninth or 10th out in the first round of the play in. Uh, but 
bigger picture, the worst case is, like you said, Scotty Barnes stagnates. You know, there's no pull-up game to speak of. He can't hack it as a lead ball handler. Um, the Pascal thing gets unresolved maybe like the real worst case is they go into the off season just running it back with oh we got three free agents again uh who are really important it worked for us great last summer let's run it back and do it again that's the worst case here the worst case is them being like sort of okay and talking masai ujiri and bobby webster into Oh, well, one more year. We'll be fine. Uh, that Then you go into the offseason with Pascal as a free agent. OG is a free agent. Gary Trent Jr. is a free agent. And certainly one of those guys walking for nothing. Um, you know, there's all sorts of ways the Pascal thing can go. Again, like extend him now. It would be my sort of uh, operation, modus of oper- mode of operation here. But, um, you know, he could get extended in the middle of the season. He could get traded at the deadline. Maybe that is viewed as a good thing, as sort of a pivot, sort of an in-between move, whatever. Um, but, yeah, worst case is is they're right where they were last year, 500-ish, back end of the play-in, out very early with all the same uncertainty of what you do with your best players and all the free agency questions hanging over everybody's heads. So, uh, yeah, it could get grim, for sure. This team, like, there's a lot riding on Scotty Barnes being really good. It's kind of a lot. I think that moves us to over-under, which I think reflects maybe some of the attitude you're saying out there, Sean. It's at 36 and a half. Yeah. I would I take feel like Sean's over. going way over. I feel like Sean's, Sean is like eight Sean's like that. no. Sean's like sixty-two wins and a title. You know, yes, that's the vibe. Exactly. I'm, um, okay. I'm not going like way over. I, I think they probably win like forty-three or forty-two games, something like that. Um, I just think thirty-six and a half is too low. And again, I think their defense—it's rude. I don't know. How, I don't know how this team is going to have anything worse than a top ten defense. Honestly, when you look at the talent, like one through eleven on the roster. There are maybe two minus defenders and a whole lot of really good defenders like Yaka Pertle, very good rim protector. OG, all defense last year. Pascal Siakam, really good sort of help low man. Uh, Scotty Barnes has the talent to be really good, has not been really good, but has the talent to do it. Dennis Schroeder, better defender than uh, Fred Van Vliet. Otto Porter, really good defender. Jalen McDaniels, really good defender. Precious Achua, maybe the best individual defender on this team outside of OG Ananobi. He just doesn't play very much, but that's what he does on a permanent basis. This team's going to rock on defense, and I think that's going to give them a floor that's just way too high for them to hit their under. And they're going to run so much that their probably like 28th ranked half court offense is going to get ballooned up, much like it did last year, where they were like the 29th ranked half court offense, but they ran enough that they ended up finishing like 12th, which is crazy. I don't know how it happened, but that's what happened. And I think that's kind of a similar formula here, but I do think they're going to be like a more balanced team overall than they were last year as well. So I'll say 43 wins. So it probably is disrespectful, but I still had the under, so I'm going to stick with it. I just think (laughs) it it does come down to the offense. Um, It was 12th last year. I do think the defense will get better. The other thing about this team uh, statistically on on that side is that they – Teams just rain shots in against them, and they still ended up statistically with a pretty decent defense. And I agree, Sean, it probably will get even better this year. So, Number six after the Yakub Pirtle trade, uh, it's worth noting. Yeah, so you expect personnel-wise and scheme-wise some improvement. Plus, if things regress back down in terms of opponent shooting, that helps them too. Mm-hmm. But I just have a hard time imagining how this offense can score enough with Van Vliet gone. So... Some teams have to be bad. Some teams have to underperform. I couldn't yeah, convince myself that the Raptors would uh, would be one of the ones to to surprise us. So I'll, I'll hit the under thirty six and a half. 
Yeah, I go. I just again went over. I just think that I don't know if it's like forty three, but I just don't see this team as like six wins under five hundred necessarily. That's kind of where I end up in thinking about this. All right, that's going to do it for our Raptors review with the great Sean Woodley. Sean, just give the plugs. Where the, where can people find your work? Locked on Raptors, man. Uh, retired from the Blue Jays game. That's fine. Uh, Locked on Raptors every day wherever you get your podcasts. It's uh, you know five days a week. You guys know the deal. It's uh, it's great times. Exciting. I let me just say this: the Raptors, they're going to be interesting. Like there's a lot of weird stuff going on. They might not be great. They might be bad. But they're going to be bizarre, and I think like a more interesting like league pass pass watch that a lot of people want to give them credit for, purely because most of their offense is going to come down to two six nine dudes throwing cool passes in transition, which is fun for everybody. It's true. And check out our friends at Ahmed. I I am very excited to just see how many first round picks OG doesn't net in a trade this year. That's kind of what I'm... <laughs> Over under a three and a half. Yeah, that sounds about. That's like the going rate, I think, of mm-hmm. uh, first round picks you turned down for OG Ananobi. Yeah, that, that sounds about dead on. <laughs> the, they're like, actually, would you would you take Fournier as expiring in like two picks for OG? Me right now? Yeah. No, I'd rather just keep OG, and I think they stand a pretty good chance, even if he hits free agency. Like, I, I would All rather right, just keep three, OG. three, three picks. What are the what are the picks? This is the thing. Like, oh, we're not like, we're not like a mock negotiation. Yeah, for we're not doing that. We're, we're done. Good. Yeah, we're good. All right, <laughs> all right, Masai, Masai Woodley. Thank you very much for your time and coming through to talk to us. We'll be back at you next later next week, everyone. And again, after WNBA Finals Game Three, Brenda and I on YouTube breaking or Game Four, excuse me, breaking down Aces Liberty Game Four, and we'll see if that series goes to a Game Five. Talk to y'all next time. <laughs>